podcast called Painting in Motion. And this podcast is about conversations with artists that could be um, visual artists, filmmakers, musicians. And the artist is asked to share about one film and one work of art that they're either currently into or are revisiting. And we talk about why they chose that film and artwork um, in connection to what they're creating today. And for my first ever episode of my first ever season, I got to interview Swoon, um, who is the street name of the artist Caledonia Curry. And if you're not familiar with Swoon, um, the best thing to do is to find her website, swoonstudio.org, and to find Spoon on Instagram. Um, everything will be linked um, along with this uh, YouTube edition of the podcast, um, and there's an audio edition, edition as well. Um, the fact that I have Spoon as my first interview is incredible, um, but also not too surprising because she's very um, generous and giving in terms of um, doing lectures and talks and lots of podcasts and there's always so much information that she shares that's brand new. Um, and just a brief introduction to her, um, she's multidisciplinary. She works um, with everything from collage to installation to video. We talk about her first feature film that is now in pre-production. Um, she's based in Brooklyn and we talk a little bit about life um, in the time of COVID from where she's at um, as well as her having shows and opening still um, most recently in Paris but there's a variety of shows that are opening in the coming weeks as well. Um, her work is based and steeped in her personal history, um, her family's history with mental illness, and mixing her ancestry and family history with themes of mythology and fantastical imagery, as well as working with symbolism and realism. And so she's really um, pulling from a really grand uh, amount of references and her work is very identifiable while also being wildly experimental. Um, and she's also an incredible activist and philanthropist as well. So again, you can learn more about her um, through her website, but also through this podcast. Um, and I hope you enjoy what she shares. Um, as far as her film and her uh, work of art that she talks about um, and how it influences her own work. Hi. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yep, how okay. are you? I'm good, how are you? Really good. Good, I hope, did you have to wait very long? I was looking at pictures of your show opening tomorrow and so I was enthralled 
looking oh, at cool. that Instagram. Yeah. But so congratulations. Thank you. And nice to meet you as well. Yeah, um, Thanks. So uh, welcome to this podcast. So it's a visual um, version right now. You're actually the first um, official guest. I have other guests that have been scheduled, um, but you're the first interview, which is mind-blowing to me because um, <laughs> I'm such, I've, I followed your work for um, a few years since grad school. Um, your work was suggested to me and you do so many different kinds of art. And you have so many different ways that you help people. And so anyway, so I'm just very um, thankful. So thank you for doing this. Yeah, yeah. thanks for taking the time to get the big picture. You know, I definitely, it's true. I do a lot of different kinds of things. And it's actually rare when, when somebody, you know, it takes time and energy to really understand like what other folks are up to. So I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating. Um, and this morning I was rewatching um when you were speaking at the Horizons convention, I guess it was last year. Was last um, year? Yeah. And it was, it's, it's so incredible. So I hope that anyone that listens to this has either seen that or will watch it because you give so much insight um, into things that connect that are really personal, but they're things that can help people, especially right now with everything going on. Cause there's such a collective, um, cloud over all of us on top of our own personal um problems and things we're going through so i guess my first question is just how are you doing and how has it been um continuing to create as you are with the election coming up and um i saw that you're taking part in this um campaign poster um kind of initiative which I think is really important so how is it to to make art for that and to make art with such an increased group awareness of a lot of things that are really kind of hopeless but still finding hope at the same time um yeah you know it's it's I've done something which is I don't think exactly I've almost kind of turned the opposite direction in a lot of ways that when COVID hit and working together became so difficult, I sort of took the opportunity to, to let another tendency that I don't give much time to, which is to like go very internal. And so I've been working on writing, I've been reading old journals, thinking about working on a memoir, I've been doing drawings, like the, the drawings that you were looking at. Um, so kind of going small in a way and going very like inside and, and really counting myself lucky. Um, in this moment to be healthy and to be able to be continuing to be creative. But there are moments like when the, the um, Robin Bell, who has, does great political work, um, asked me to be part of Vote Them Out. And, and, I, and I was grateful, you know, to be able to pitch in in some way because, yeah, there's this feeling like we're in a crisis and like, how are we how are we meant to interact with it? And, and, and we're all figuring it out. Um, I just sort of peeked my head out tonight at a community mural dedication. Um, and that was really wonderful just to see like all these kids from Crown Heights that had made this beautiful mural that like included all that was going on and like all the folks in the neighborhood were out and we're really excited and, and feeling proud. And that kind of just like, just seeing that like reconnected me with the world a little bit. That's really cool. And I think, are you, are you based in Brooklyn? I am. In New York? Okay. And um, I feel like, I mean, we're all, we're all connecting, but at the same time, there, it's hard to ignore that it's, it's different for us depending on where we live and depending on 
some of the like, infrastructure and politics of where we live, it kind of adds more nuance to what's happening. So for you to be in New York um, and to be able to share what's happening, because I think things can be um, more intense, especially with the, with COVID and things like that. Um, so it's really cool to hear about that mural. But um, And I wanted to share too, there's only a handful of artists that I've listened to or that I viewed where I can't listen to them without wanting to take notes and it just I just feel like very like inspired and it's people like um Patty Smith is one and um Jim Jarmish the filmmaker and then with you I feel that too um and I feel like there's a wealth of information that you share um and you share a lot with your Instagram. You share a lot of um, books and resources and things about mental health. And I think that's really important. Um, are there people that have modeled that for you or artists or anybody that you feel like is also doing that, that has inspired you to do that? Or is that some, something that comes from another place that you feel like um, drives you to want to do that? The, uh, it broke up a little bit, so I just want to make sure that I heard the question. So you're talking about the sort of um, inspiration to share a lot uh, on Instagram and to talk about mental health and such? Yes, or really just be, being able to share um, resources and wanting to help others. Um, because I feel like there's a lot of people that, that find that is important and is really um, generous. But I feel like things like empathy it's something that we should see from a lot of people and there's a lot of groups of people that don't share that in places that it should happen. I guess when I'm thinking about what's happening um, just with the election or with, um, with Black Lives Matter. And so um, how is it for you to do that? And do you pull that from anybody else? Um, I mean, I wonder, it's a good question, like, what are my inspirations in terms of being somebody who's so kind of public and so sharing? And I think, um, you know, I'm mainly an artist, but I have uh, spent a lot of time around people who are lifetime community organizers and lifetime activists. And so, you know, I think that while... Um, while I, I would never count myself as being as being that hardcore of a community organizer and an activist as, as a lot of folks are, I certainly feel like the spirit of a lot of that work um, has kind of left its imprint on a lot of the uh, projects that I do and a lot of the spirit that I create things from. And so, you know, with uh, this sort of sharing, it's, it's, it's like just about I love to I love to do things I love to connect I love to work with people and but then I also love to be alone and so in the times when I'm kind of deep in my sort of solo process I find ways to continue connecting just you know by writing and by right. that's really cool and that's, I feel like that's a really important um way to synthesize is writing um Absolutely. Is that something that you do that you find is really important to your practice for your visual art? Well, you know, I started doing the practice um, that you might have heard of called the morning pages. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. It's, you know, one of those things a lot of artists do. And I, I started doing it when I was like in my 20s. Um, you know, and I'll go in and out and I'll have periods where I don't do it. But I find that it's 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 really a backbone of one of my ways of thinking of 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 remaining sane um and of of kind of just allowing my voice to kind of work its own kinks out 
uh, before I faced the world. And then, you know, now I'm reading back over all 20 years of those journals and it's kind of wild to watch my life unfold, to realize how much I've been through, to see things like, oh, I always knew what that problem was going to be in advance. Why didn't I listen to myself? You know, it's this, it's this kind of um, amazing thing. So I don't know, I would almost just say to like any other like young artists or artists like myself in, in getting towards middle age or whenever you are, um, keep a journal because like you're going to forget and it's kind of, it's, it really is like um, a lot. I feel almost like part of my life is being returned to me and like some pretty deep wisdom that I actually need right now is being given to me via going back over all over my life because COVID has slowed us down enough to do that. Right. I think that's really, I think that's really poignant. Um, and it kind of pulls into um, your pick for both the film and for the art piece that you were going to talk about. Um, and I'll, I'll let you share the titles, but you mentioned the film that you chose to, to share about is something that you found when you were younger and that you're reflecting on it as, as just being older and having more experience that you're able to perhaps connect more um, reasons about why you're drawn to it in the first place. So can you share about the film you picked and what kind of changes you felt? Because that that piece is really fascinating to me. Um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah. So I chose The Fisher King um, and I chose it for a couple of reasons. And, you know, the first is because it was actually the first movie that uh, that I loved as a young person, that I was like, this is the movie that I found out of nowhere that I think is really special. Um, and I was obsessed with it and I watched it many times um, and I just, I just was drawn to it. And at the time, you know, when I was so young, I think that I just, I thought that I was drawn to it because it was weird. You know, it was Terry Gilliam. I didn't know anything about Terry Gilliam, but I was like, whoa, what's the the vibe? And, you know, and, and the actors were amazing. And it just kind of had this um, energy to it. Uh, and so I really loved it. And then years later, you know, flash forward many years later, and uh, I have done a lot of work around mental health because I grew up in a family that not only was heavily addicted to drugs and alcohol, but that quite a few members of my family that were really close to me um, struggled with psychotic breakdowns and struggled with um, disassociation and schizophrenia and, uh, you know, trauma, deep trauma the avoidance of which, you know, the psyche's innate avoidance of that trauma would cause um, all kinds of things, including hallucinations and psychosis. And so when I watched The Fisher King later in life, I was like, oh, hun, like, of course you connected with this. You grew up in a situation where people were going through what Robin Williams' character is going through in the in the movie where he has had this horrific event happen and his psyche is keeping this event at, at bay uh, kind of via these, these psychotic um, hallucinations. And so, you know, when I saw it again, it was, it was just really moving to realize that, that way, the sort of the power of art that this movie kind of gave me connection and gave me solace before I could even consciously connect the dots on why. Because I also was in a similar place in my young teenage years where I was uh, sort of trying to not remember uh, so much of what I had gone through in my, in my youth. 
Um, and I actually just want to say something really fun and cool and mystical <laughs> is that I just had yes. a conversation today and who knows if anything will come of it, but it was just a very cool conversation with the team from um, the Sleep Club, which is a Jeff Bridges project. And I said, hey, you guys, like completely coincidentally, I'm talking about the Fisher King tonight. And they were like, it's a sign. <laughs> wow. I love stuff like that. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. And he's really great in that too. But I do, I mean, Robin Williams, he stands out in almost in everything that he's made. But I Absolutely. think that's, um, it's it's so cool. And it's, it's it's I'm sure a mixture of emotions when you look back and you're, you're realizing something that, because when you're a teenager, things are so potent. Mm -hmm. And I feel like for me, like the music I love and the movies I love, like the foundation was set when I was like 15. Exactly. And even though, yeah. So to be able to articulate and find connections, and I'm sure that they'll grow even more mm -hmm. um, if you watch it like in 10 years. And I think that's really fascinating. And there's people who are afraid to do that. Um, what, and what I love about your work is you're driven by healing. But in order to heal, it's about facing your fears um and you talk and you're very generous in um answering people's questions about um their own trauma or their own fears and finding ways to reframe things or finding ways to not ignore things but to also remove the type of power that they have make it into a new power right. um and so what's i guess for you is that something i'm sure that's constantly evolving but are there are there ways that you're that are maybe daily or maybe more simple ways that you're able to kind of like continue that or is it something that that's more of like um I'm sure there's a daily practice but is there some kind of like a bigger thing that you have to do or how well, do you approach it? You know, I was just again kind of looking back at my old journals and an interesting thing that stood out for me is that I knew intellectually what the issues are were years before I started to heal them, but I wasn't able to heal them because knowing intellectually where the issues lie doesn't actually do that much. Even though um, once I started to read books to sort of augment my therapy process, I found that that was tremendously helpful. Um, I found that just the intellectual knowledge in the absence of any real empathetic connection um, sort of didn't unlock the storehouse of, of suffering that I needed to, to unlock. And so, you know, for me, uh, ha you know, ha going to therapy, being able, being fortunate enough to be able to work closely with a therapist and to be able to access therapy in an ongoing way has been, has been huge. Um, you know, and then I also do a daily meditation. I do daily journaling. I, I do a lot of reading. I do sharing and talks, like you said. So it's, you know, the, the giving back becomes part of the healing, the processing it together becomes part of the healing, the sort of challenging the stories that were handed down to you. Um, you know, all of it becomes, becomes part of that healing. That. Um, and something, so you shared also a link to a podcast that I hadn't heard of before, and mm -hmm. it's really cool, and I'm going to have to, I'm, I'm going to re-listen to it, because the women that were talking had a wealth of information, um, and they mentioned the Fisher King, um, the mythology that it stems from, and a little bit about the film, 
So I guess um, I'd love to know what you'd like to share about that. And also you have um, a lot of ties to mythology in your artwork and that kind of leads into all the ancestry and family connection. Um, so what would you like to share about that podcast yeah. episode? Yeah, so the, the podcast episode is actually how I decided to share the Fisher King film. Um, and there's a woman uh, named um, Amanda Yates Garcia, and she is a witch, and she's a writer and a, and a, and a healer, and she has this podcast called Between the Worlds, which I love. Um, and so her and this woman, Mara Freeman, were having this conversation about um, Celtic mythology and Welsh mythology and the, the um, you know, just the sort of wealth of stories. And at some point they started talking about the Fisher King and they're, they're telling the original story. And the, the moment where I really got goosebumps and where I was like, this is the incredible thing about stories is that, um, Amanda was interpreting the Fisher King story in this really specific way. And so basically the story is that there's this wounded king and he's trapped in this castle and he needs somebody to come and ask him the right question um, in sort of for him to heal. And But the, the sort of older origins of the story are that there was this verdant spring in this beautiful fertile ground and it was attended to by these well maidens and the well maidens you know travelers would come and they would give them water give them sustenance let them rest and and they would move on but at some point um these tribe this band of this king and his men come and they're really cruel and they're really you know they they destroy the land, they rape the, these women and who are the well maidens and the well maidens then disappear back into the well. Um, they stop sort of giving nourishment, they stop giving sustenance and the land goes barren and it's stricken by drought. Um, and the Fisher King is then is trapped in the castle and is sort of waiting for this moment of regeneration. And in the stories, you know, they talk about the Holy Grail and the Grail tends to be interpreted as a symbol of, of, of the feminine force, you know, the sort of the cup, the vessel. Um, and so Amanda Yates Garcia interpreted this story in this really incredible way. And she said, there's a sort of a prophetic quality to it in the sense that at that time, in um, in the British Isles, there were all these kind of colonial forces in this kind of uh, like mind state of like of of sort of forceful agriculture and kind of warring um, forces starting to get going, versus a sort of more um, kind of tribes that lived in a little bit uh, more of a long-term respectful relationship with the land. And so in her view of this story, you get these, these well maidens and you get these kind of rapacious kings and this injury and the barren land and then the need to reseek the feminine. And, and she sort of saw it as almost like, if you can imagine that there's a group of people hundreds of years ago and they see something happening and they're like, they're like, these people are coming, they're, 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 they're treating the land in this awful way. We're starting to make the land barren. Like our culture is shifting. It's going super masculine. We're not asking permission. We're not living in accord with this environment. We're destroying our home. We need to like somehow send a message forward that says, refine the feminine, refine your ability to live in harmony with this landscape and to ask its permission before you take so that it will continue to give. Um, 
And so her idea was that, you know, you can't necessarily just say that, like, hey, respect the land. That as a sentence, maybe that's not going to travel forward in time. But if you put it into a myth, and if you really build the truth of the story into the myth, then the story is fascinating and has its own resonance and carries forward into the future, where here we are now hearing this stored story and decoding it as, oh, this is this message about seeking the feminine and about refinding our relationship to the land so that we can heal this injury. Right, and that it's so powerful and it's it's what's happening or has been happening here right now. Mm-hmm. So it's it's terrifying too. <laughs> also, also absolutely terrifying. Yeah, and there is um, you said there is a performance piece too that mm-hmm. you is it connected to um, that theme? Well, it's connected to the Fisher King in another way. So, so I love the way that a story gets told and retold, and there are all these different interpretations. There's something about that that I just absolutely geek out on, and so in the movie The Fisher King. Uh, the scene where Robin Williams is telling Jeff Bridges, he's, do you know about the myth of the Fisher King? And he says, um, the king is trapped and no one, he sent out these armies to find the grail. They can't find it. And then this simple man comes in and says, are you okay? Do you need anything? And the, and the king says, I'm so thirsty. And he hands him a cup. And when the king drinks from the cup, he noticed that his wound is starting to heal and that he's actually drinking out of the Holy Grail. And he says to the man, how did you find this? All these armies couldn't find it. And the man said, I don't know. I don't know anything about your grail. I just knew that you were thirsty. And it's this idea that compassion is the thing. And so years ago, I don't even know the name of the artist and I don't know the name of the performance, unfortunately, but my, one of my college professors told us about this performance where a man, um, kind of trapped himself under plexiglass in a very awkward position doing this performance in a gallery. And it was, it was a performance that had no defined endpoint. He knew what the endpoint was, but he didn't tell anyone what it was. And he just stayed in there and people milled around the gallery for, you know, a 24 hour cycle, just going and going. Um, and, and people, you know, just looking at this guy under, you know, naked under this plexiglass or whatever. And then finally, at some point, the, the performance ended and they ever said, oh, what was it? And he said, somebody had to realize that I might be getting thirsty under here and that I was a person and that I might need something. And he said it was one of the security guards who finally said, hey, are you okay? Like, do you need some water? Um, And that was the moment that the performance ended. And it felt again, like this moment of connection of like, there's this situation is going and the thing that is needed is a very basic moment of empathy. And that all these other things that can disguise that, but like one person is gonna finally just see it and be like, oh wait, how are you doing? Right, and I think it, it, it's something that 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 bothers me when I when I hear I hear myself think about it too. Where if I see someone be showing empathy, um, I feel like a lot of people see it as being very generous or very um, just kind of like going above and beyond. But it's something that, like in that example, it's overlooked and it's assumed um, that other people are already doing it or there's enough of it. And it's not something that you can use up or run out of, but at the same time, it can become something that more people do more of in place of others that aren't. Um, so I feel like with your artwork, you're able to communicate to so many people how important that is. And it's it's so welcoming. I feel, I feel like there's so much joy in your artwork. 
and there's just so much enthusiasm. And again, it comes from the fact that you're able to face these realities and really discuss them and talk about them. Um, and I know you're you're working a lot with film now, and you're doing um, stop motion, and uh, you're working on a bigger project too. Um, I believe a feature film I've heard about. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's so cool because I feel like with projects like this, it's involving um, mediums that transcend, and this it welcomes more and more people. So how is that? Just working with a medium like that and having it grow bigger. Um, do you have, I guess, expectations or or what kind of place are you in with that process right now? Well, I'm right at the beginning. Um, it's very early. I've, I've done very little, in fact. Um, but it's, it's also uh, very ready. So um, I'm kind of, you know, sort of letting letting this moment of COVID be a time to sort of let the ideas simmer because I feel like really trying to enter into such a big group process at this moment feels like um, maybe just not not quite, we're not ready yet. But, um, you know, I'm surprised, but it's, it's the, the thing that happens for me that has always happened for me is that um, I kind of know that an idea is right if it just like, occupies my mind like with a force and if part of me is going no why like I'm gonna kill you like you what are we doing we're gonna do this to me why are you doing this to me like, <laughs> that's kind of terrible yeah. still, still somehow those are are some of my realist projects and it's because you know the sort of very pragmatic part of me can feel like once that spirit enters the room or like enters my psyche the sort of more pragmatic parts of me are aware that like once this thing gets going it's gonna you know it becomes the nexus of everything and it sort of takes over and and these sort of really unlikely things start unfolding and you give your whole self to it and um and I I, I feel that way about the film I um I just had a realization uh recently that I'm gonna make it full scale uh it's a stop motion but I'm gonna make it life-size which is already um kind of a fool's errand that I'm ready for and then in addition um I'm gonna shoot it in the in the in my childhood backyard using the old shed um kind of to to create the scenes and so I'm breaking a bunch of rules of stop motion working large and we're and working against natural light and weather and all these things but I just decided that I, that's why I'm an artist because I can I can just say like, hey, this this might be completely weird and it might be a disaster in X Y Z ways, but this is not uh, like a film product. This is a film experiment. Like I'm an artist because I love the field of going like, hey, this is art and it can get weird. <laughs> like that's that's what we're meant to be doing here. It's so cool, and I think that the fact that you're doing it in your childhood home, I think that's so powerful. And I feel the same way. I think that it's worth worth the, the struggle. I could just feel it. I was just visiting. My brother lives, it's, it's his house now. Um, and I just walked around in the backyard when I was down there last and I was like, just shot through with this feeling that, uh, that it was right and that it was really powerful and that there was something worth doing there. Plus, you're not you're not in the constraints of a studio, which I guess okay. some people would think of a studio as again you're you're not using um sunlight and things like that. But I think 
what you're doing sounds way more exciting. So I, I'm really excited for that. <laughs> That's so cool. And there's a lot of um, overlap with, with sound and particularly with music. You've collaborated a lot um, either alongside musicians. I know um, your first solo show, you were friends when you had like a band that came and play. And you've done um, at least one music video, Alicia Keys. Maybe I'm sure there are other music videos too that you've done. Um, on. That was based, I was in one when I was 25, just like kind of as a lark, but. Okay, because I know. <laughs> it was called Talia. I mean, it was called A Quien Le Importa by Talia. <laughs> that sounds so cool. What was your role? Like, what did you do? Uh, I like made out with a girl, like in the back room, champagne room scene. <laughs> that's so cool that I moonlight as an extra and I say that I've done it twice but I think it's so cool it's so yeah cool. it was fun it was my birthday so I brought all my friends we were all extras and that was just like what we did that night for my birthday yeah. party. That's so <laughs> but, but I have done a lot of work with musicians I work with uh, some folks in New Orleans on this project that's like musical architecture um I had a my very first solo exhibition somebody built a soundscape for it um, and then I worked with the sound artist, Brian Bow for the last films. And then my friend Skip Shirey is like a, a, a composer and he builds instruments and does all these kind of wild experiments. Um, and so we're going to work together on the, on the feature film. That's so cool. I and I was wondering, cause I feel like, I feel like sound is such an important element. Um, when I think about the, like the Medea theme where you've talked, you've talked about like the switchboard and having sound, um, there's just such a multi-sensory um, aspect to your art. And I feel like some, there's something that's really more personal about sound, at least for me, where it becomes more cinematic and it becomes more intimate too, um, especially when you're in an immersed place. Um, you could be in an installation, but if there's sound augmenting, it's completely more, it's more, unique I feel like in that sense um more psychological in a way because it's kind of there's a way that sound is sort of in your mind or you know what I mean like it, I find even like uh you know walking around with headphones I'll sometimes feel a little disoriented spatially because of the way it just kind of like interacts with my senses agree and what are what are some things that you listen to um in addition to that podcast which I'm definitely going to continue to check out but what kind of music or things um if you listen to music while you work that you've you've been listening to more recently um let me see I mean I've actually been recently I've been kind of catching up on the art world out of I'm almost feel like I'm doing like a like a grad school, uh, you know, because I've been an artist for 20 years, um, but I was always took a very outsider position to the art world, you know, for various reasons. Um, and I decided recently that, that that was a decision that I made when I was 22 and now I'm 42 and that I should at least just kind of check back in and just be like, what, you know, who and what and what are people thinking about? And so I've been listening to actually a lot of podcasts and watching documentaries and listening to books and just kind of re-dipping back into art history and into the art world and the art market and sort of just trying to to get a more of a sense of it. That's like what I've been doing the past couple of, um, kind of this summer. Um, me and my partner, who also is an artist, we sort of took that on as like a little fun project to do in the car. And then when I, when I, when I draw, 
you know, I either like to listen to kind of very slow, sad music to get my energy focused, you know, down or, um, you know, audiobooks. Today, I, I put, put on for a little while The Wind in the Willows um, because I, the movie that I'm going to be working on is, is a sort of a children's story. Uh, I, I sort of wrote this period of my life as a, as a sort of a children's fantasy. And so um, another thing I've been doing is kind of absorbing uh, just children's stories and seeing, you know, what, what, what are the ways that uh, the old ones like the wind in the willows are written or even, you know, all the way up to like watching the Lego movies and just being like, okay, what's the like landscape of, of, of what children, um, you know, and I think in a way, this movie is not going to exactly be a children's movie, but it's, it's sort of rooted there. See, I could see it being something that a lot of people enjoy, um, just like reconnecting to their childhood. And like you said, there's, we all have like these favorite books and things. Um, I have a friend named Taylor, who's an amazing artist who draws a lot from her favorite like cartoons as a kid. And it's like, just like, the way like Bugs Bunny eats a carrot, it's like we know what that carrot tastes like, but it's not like people carrots, but it's like, why do we know that's like really good and it's really weird and like candy and like, so I think that's so cool, you know what I mean? That's so funny, wow. I never even thought about that, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it's in our consciousness, right? Yeah, yeah, and I, I have an almost, um, an almost seven-year-old, so the Lego movies are a huge part of our life, and I love how, yeah, so the glowiness and but yeah, so I'm I'm excited to see just knowing because I didn't think about that aspect, the fact that you're drawing from what you looked at as a child. And it's not it's not about what you experience only within family, but it's it's everything. It's what you take in mm-hmm. and your experiences outside and in school and things mm-hmm. like that are all part of it. Yeah. Um and there's something about that podcast. They talked about this Celtic goddess. I wanna say it's Kalia or Kalia and yeah. I haven't heard of her before who has the apron yeah. and she, yeah and it, it almost reminded me of your name I wanted to ask and I and then I apologize if you've shared this before but do you know where your first name where it's derived from or why your family picked it yeah I do you know it's funny because I have been named Caledonia my whole life but I never knew what it meant and I knew I knew that it was the old name for Scotland. Um, and my great, great grandmother was named Caledonia. So that's, it's a family name and we're Scottish. So I knew that much. Um, but I, I looked it up recently and, you know, Wikipedia, it's very different than when I was a kid and I used to look it up and nobody knew what it was about. Um, and I learned that it's actually an old Scottish tribal name. So I think that the similarity with those two names is, is probably not a coincidence. So the, um, the Caledoni were a Pictish tribe. Um, and the Picts are, I, I think, probably most famously like Braveheart, the kind of blue people. Um, but I think I think the way that I read about it is they would actually tattoo themselves. Um, and they were these quite fierce people that lived um, in the north of Scotland. And they, um, the name I think literally translates to steadfast or hard-footed. Um, because they stopped the Romans from progressing north of Hadrian's Wall. Um, and so, yeah, that's the origin of my name. Okay, that's so cool. And I feel like it fits, it fits your work so well. That's cool. 
we're nearing the end of our time and I'm, again, I'm so thankful to be able to talk to you because you have so much going on um, and you always do. Um, and I guess, is there anything you'd like to share about your upcoming show? You have a show opening tomorrow in Paris. Um, and I guess, are there going to be ways that they're sharing uh, remotely beyond Instagram? Like, I know some people are doing like receptions through Zoom and things like that, or? Oh, this one is, they were just on summer break in Paris. Um, and that one's just a drawing show. But the bigger thing that I have coming up is up in Buffalo at the Albright Knox Museum. Um, we're bringing a bunch of my uh, old sculptures together, including the Medea. Um, the Medea that you mentioned is gonna be in Buffalo. And the show is gonna be called Seven Contemplations. And we're gonna have um, seven places within the show where you can sit and kind of gaze upon a certain uh, area and and do a meditation if you'd like um, because as we talked about meditation has been quite an important part of my process and so um, and so that's the next thing that's coming up that I'm really excited about is to be able to make this really large-scale installation and then to have it kind of function as a way for people to just like stop and to think about these really large universal questions that all of us are facing in life you know including grieving and including death including you know birth and 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 just there's, you know, so just the sort of questions of like, how do we sit with whatever is going on with us? Um, and so, yeah, that's what's coming up next. I'm going to head up there in a, in a week or two to get started installing. Cool. Well, I'm excited to follow that. And and again, um, the way you connect to your ancestry and and what, what, you're, what you're willing to share about your family, it's so powerful and it's just so unique. Um, and I didn't realize until um, this week that your mom passed the same year that my mom passed. And it's, it's, it's something that's a, it's a hard experience to have when you're young and when you're an artist and working with that type of imagery. So I'm really thankful for what you've shared with us. And it makes a very big difference for other people that are grieving and going through those motions so thank you so much for Absolutely. and thank you for connecting with it because that also makes makes it so much more meaningful you know when you share something and you know that it it is able to touch someone who's had a similar experience it just connects you to humanity in a way that um makes me really grateful so thank you too oh, thanks well congratulations again on your shows and i hope that you have a really great um season getting ready for your film so i can't wait to follow thank it you. Okay. all right good night thank, thank you, you so much this was fun thank you <laughs> good night good night